Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of World Forge. World Forge is a podcast by creators and for creators, where we use random prompts to invent just about anything you can imagine. Together, we'll make heroes and villains, ancient monsters and magical cities. And our hope is that we inspire all the other creators and storytellers out there listening to do the same. So, without any further ado, I'm Sam. And I'm Piper. And welcome to World Forge. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning back into another episode of World Forge. We're, of course, very glad to have you back. And what a week it has been. Uh, we've been uh, doing a lot of work on some new campaigns we have going on. We've, uh, we're actually kind of patiently waiting for one of our guests is abroad right now quite <laughs> quite one of our, uh, rudely or one of our one of our players is abroad yeah. right now quite rudely uh left the country right after we started a really exciting fun game so but it gave you plenty of time yeah. to make a nice little frog night <laughs> it has given us plenty of time to workshop new characters and get things going but uh i'm sure you can understand the frustration of being very very excited for a new game and not being able to play <laughs> <C'est la vie. laughs> uh but uh yeah that's kind of uh really been our week just working on all that stuff What's going on with you, Piper? Pretty much the same. I'm planning on doing lots of uh, art. And actually, a friend of ours started a um, a writing role-play sort of shared story situation yeah. in which um, he's just sent us this very long instruction manual of how to it's fill out <laughs> a dossier about our characters. And I'm not quite sure how it's going to work, but apparently he's going to be sending us... Um, segments of a story that we will be writing our responses to as kind of like a shared uh, role play scenario but yeah so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah so actually it kind of works out I guess that we have some downtime from our games to exactly. work on exactly we can yeah, delve tertiary. into lots of other things. Yes, exactly. But, but Sam, we're not here alone today. No, we are not here alone today. Uh, <laughs> despite our just uh, talking to each other and ignoring our wonderful guest, uh, we, we do have someone very, very exciting here with us this week. James D'Amato. Uh, Hello, heroes. <laughs> Hello, James. <laughs> uh, leave it to the professional podcaster to step on your words twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, uh, James, you are in fact a professional podcaster and uh, as such is your Right, you have uh, podcast prima nocta rights, I believe, uh, over over <laughs> oh, the show. No. So. <laughs> oh, horrible! Yeah, we're getting pretty fancy up in yeah. here. Uh, James, how would people know you? Uh, so uh, you might know me from the One Shot Podcast or the Campaign Podcast over on the One Shot Podcast Network. I run an actual play role playing show where I feature as many different role playing systems as possible. Uh, we usually run a system in like a two to three episode spurt, uh, and. Every time we run a new system, we have a new cast of players, uh, and we have explored over a hundred different role-playing games cool. at this point, um, <laughs> cool. and, and mostly working with comedians, so there are very silly episodes that yeah. come out of that. <laughs> I also do Campaign, which is a uh, ongoing campaign that is set in a setting now that uh, is completely custom-built. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called Skyjacks. It is about sky pirates. It's got kind of an anti-imperialist theme, anti-colonialist uh, theme to it. 
Um, and we built the setting uh, around the music of the Decemberists oh, uh, and a couple other <laughs> like folk tales and uh, uh, <laughs> different inspiration sources. It's kind of a weird setting, but I also think it is a tremendous piece of art. So please check that out. Yeah, I, I remember awesome. when you came to the end of the, the Star Wars uh, saga in campaign, I was very, very sad. And then when I heard you were building your next setting around the music of the Decemberists, I was like, good, forget Star Wars. I don't even care. And then Sam proceeded to talk to me about the Decemberists for like five weeks straight. <laughs> well, I think being a Decemberists fan, it can be kind of tricky also being a you know, a DM or a writer or a creator of any kind, because anytime I come up with an interesting character, I have to think, okay, have the Decemberists already written a song about this? It has like dead children in it. That's definitely been covered. Or it has a, you know, <laughs> some kind of a weird circus performer. It definitely been covered by the Decemberists. So they've... Yeah, the thing that, that rules about uh, what they decide to build like as, as song, song subjects, they're looking a lot into folk traditions and not just yes. Western folk traditions, like Eastern folk traditions, uh, traditions from all over the world and they pull it into this kind of melancholic uh sort of <laughs> desperate world uh, and yeah. even though they're you know spanning many different time periods and and looking at kind of different genres of writing it all feels cohesive they're a very cool group yeah. uh, so it was super fun to build a world around those ideas that's so cool yeah, I, I think that was a pretty inspired decision, honestly. <laughs> Do you ever play Decemberist music on top of those, like any of the things that you record? When uh, to? No, because the licensing, uh, oh, not even because copyrights. it's like, actually expensive to license the music, uh, because it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, when we were founding the show, uh, like I, I have, I've played with Chris Funk before, who's who's a oh, member of the really? band. Yeah. Um, so we we you know thought like, hey, we know the band. This is going to yeah. be a simple thing. Uh, it turns out like there's no way to even contact like their <laughs> primary record label. Oh, we no. managed to find one of the older labels that they used to be with that still has the rights to like some of their earlier mm -hmm. stuff. And we're like, okay, we'll just use just the earlier stuff. That'll be fine. And we were like in the process of, of booking this through the label. And they're like, oh, have you talked to BMG yet? Uh, and BMG is the collective that controls rights to lyrics. Yeah. Um, um, and while we had the band willing to work with us and the label willing to work with us, uh, there was still the matter of trying to get this massive corporation to pay attention to <laughs> so a type of production like we're not radio, we're not TV, yeah. we don't make any sense to them. Yeah, uh, of course. So even though we were willing to shell out like a decent amount of money, it's just the the people that own those rights <laughs> would not talk to us. Oh, bummer. Which is such a shame because I feel like Skyjacks is such a great companion piece to the music of the Decemberists. Like I feel like Colin Mole would love his little uh, uh, English major heart <laughs> would, would soar to hear that somebody thought that his stories were worth, you know, co-opting. I. I I just think that's such a shame that that doesn't really work out, but you know, it's quite uh, Yeah, you, you would, you would hope because like, I also, you know, want, uh, the band to be, uh, benef benefiting financially yeah. from something that we're doing. And like, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out some kind of partnership. Uh, but yeah, licensing that music was really tough. Yeah. Thankfully we have hired a musician, Arnie Parrott, who has created music for our show and the ethos with which he created it was he wanted to create music that would exist within the world. So the music that uh, we feature on the show is 
also still part of a world of the world building because it is like putting basically a fisheye lens on decemberist music it's like we use decemberist music to create the world and then we create music based on that yeah. world that's awesome if that takes it to like a yeah. whole nother level yeah if the decemberist existed in the skyjacks world this is the music they would be writing instead of the crane wife or <laughs> what have you <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, or, or they would be like reinventing this music because like it's the, this music is the folk traditions. It's like the songs that people sing in pubs like yeah. late at night when they're off to go on a, another dangerous job the next day. So the Decemberists would look that the, the, the way they looked at, you know, the music in our real world. And they'd be like, let's reinvent this and, and put a cool new spin on it. So that's great. I Absolutely. would love to see that. That would be very fun. Yeah. When, when you were first talking about not being able to use it i was literally thinking i was like well if you you know one of the guys can't you just like record like your own kind of like weird covers of it but you're kind of doing that already but making them your own so way to go yeah yeah like instead we're like wholly invented music uh that is inspired by um yeah and you know maybe maybe we'll figure out a way to license something uh it's just like one of the best things about the decemberists is the lyrics that that Mm -hmm. colin writes like Mm -hmm. that that is the cornerstone of so much of the world building that we brought into it so the fact that the barrier to entry for us was the lyrics was a huge bummer because uh that's that's bringing a lot of fire to those tracks no discounting chris and and the rest of the band obviously because i love them dearly and they do a fantastic job they are a band and everything they create is a collaboration but oh my goodness are those lyrics very good and do i appreciate them very very much oh yeah uh, no absolutely so uh thank you listeners for tuning into our decemberists uh ted talk here it's been mm-hmm. a really wonderful 10 minutes our and ted, we're very thankful to have you circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's what ted talks are no honestly exactly, yeah, exactly. Yes, just like nerds to be in like space is great no honestly <laughs> if we could have this just be an hour and a half of us talking about the decemberists i'd be completely fine with that but that is not what oh, i yeah, i could feel that listeners uh, come here for unfortunately uh what they're here for is to hear us uh come up with our own uh crazy wacky creations and uh this week we are talking about something that i think is really interesting we are talking about uh hermits recluses and vagabonds and uh, very specific category of person (laughs) well i want to sort of cast a broad net when we talk about this because what i really mean here is sort of the figures that exist on the edge of the known and the unknown or on on sort of the outskirts of civilized society in these stories and i think these are always really important characters because they tend to be the gateway for our heroes into the unknown if we want to talk about narrative structure or the hero's journey or or anything like that they can be a bridge into the actual adventure and the actual story Um, like the old man from scene 27 yeah exactly i have that written down in my notes here actually that was one of my perfect examples (laughs) is the old man from scene 24 tim the enchanter the witches from macbeth uh can I actually give um, an example of my yeah. favorite hermit from fiction yeah, that makes your... <laughs> literally <laughs> no sense? Okay. Oh, please do. Yes. Um, James, did you watch much of the original Scooby-Doo cartoon? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. We're, we're talking the, the 70s Scooby-Doo, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if you remember the episode with the creeper in it, there is this like... A third of the entire episode is the gang finds like this. They follow these tracks over to some cliff and there's like a these lines that go across this big ravine and there's like a rolled up um, like kind of ladder or bridge on one end and like a, 
a cave on the other side. And they get Scooby to go across and send the ladder over so they can walk in. And when they get inside, they find this, like, old man who's just living in this cave, a hermit, and he's just, like, stirring this big pot of something. (laughs) And they, like, interview this guy for a bit, and then they realize, okay, this is not who we're looking for. We should just leave. He's just a crazy guy we found. And they leave the cave, and he just goes, come back! And it's just totally (laughs) random, and it doesn't go anywhere. It's just, like, a false lead that they follow for half of the episode. (laughs) It's like, wait. One of the best things about Scooby-Doo is the artistic ethos behind that original series is, how do we spend $7 animating this? (laughs) Exactly. That they used the recycled face animations for 10 minutes of that episode. (laughs) Beautiful. The only thing that ever moves is just Scooby's legs spinning in a windmill fashion fashion (laughs) that they have to, (laughs) every time he gets scared of something. Exactly. And the intern who's cranking the background reel to make it spin behind the animations. If we can't, yeah. if we can't reuse it, we're not doing it. Exactly. Except for those wild exactly. background panels, which rule. Yeah, I, I think that's a great hey, example. Hey, do we want to spend another hour on Scooby Doo and just talk about Scooby Doo? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. We've transitioned very, uh, very naturally from our Decemberist TED Talk to our Scooby Doo TED Talk. <laughs> no, I'm I, loving I, this. I, I think that's a good example of, uh, you know. Uh, a hermit doesn't necessarily have to be an impetus for progression of the story. Often they are, but sometimes they can just be a goofy red herring or a silly little a side A crazy character. man in a cave. Yeah, a crazy with man. With a you big know, bot of suit. Exactly. You get the, the Tom Bombadil is another good example of that, that, you know, there's this wild digression in The Lord of the Rings. And I, I love Tom Bombadil. I am ride or die for Tom Bombadil. But, uh, you know, you can kind of make the argument that that isn't, a really necessary part of that story, at least in terms of the big picture of things. Um, or And I think Peter Jackson made that argument pretty compellingly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of the only times that I will stand by a, uh, a production design choice that Peter Jackson <laughs> made in the uh, in the Lord of the Rings film trilogy, but uh, I, hmm. I don't think Tom Bombadil would have worked very well in film. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But I guess... Uh, the point of all of this is to say, you know, this is just kind of how I want to define the framework that we're using to build these characters. Uh, and any uh, any other wild tangents you want to go on here, quick, James, before we really get to the meat of this episode? Oh, oh no, I'm ready to rant about uh, the, the subject matter that we have here. <laughs> okay, awesome. perfect. Well, let's take a look at our uh, prompt here that we're going to be using to build our own hermits, recluses, vagabonds wanderers, mysterious strangers. Uh, what, what do we got here, Piper? Okay, so the first prompt that I got <laughs> upon pressing the button was the word coast. Mm. Okay. And mm. I take that to, I picture like a seaside coast, but it yes. also you could think of like coasting, like to just kind of move along in a yeah. chill fashion. I was thinking of a, a hermit that is constantly just on a longboard riding around the perimeter of, of the capital town of the most the richest province in all of Tamriel there you go something like that uh anything you immediately jump to here James um so I I think that creates a mood for me more than anything else uh that makes me think of New England and, and Cape Cod specifically okay. so I've and this might just be uh skyjacks uh create like <laughs> I, there's there's kind of a nautical theme there yeah. for sure uh but also you know that immediately makes me think of lovecraft of 
you know, fisherman stories and, and, and stuff like that. Very uh, nice. There are there's lots of, this uh, kind of dreary mood that comes with, with yeah. the coast for me. Definitely. I mean, there is a trailer that just came out recently for a movie oh, all yes. about people who stay in a lighthouse. And those guys are definitely hermits. Yeah, it's it's oh, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy who directed The Witch uh, with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson just in a weird spooky black and white lighthouse, which is like my dream film, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that film looks wild. Yes. Uh, and it basically perfectly captures what I think of oh, uh, perfect. Yeah. when I think of Coast. Yes, cool. exactly. So your hermit is already invented. You've invented Willem Dafoe. Good work. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> we really appreciate your time here. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. See, here's the thing uh, about hermits for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of, one of the things that I guess a question that I'll put to the two of you, I, generally speaking, think hermits are props and rarely fully realized characters. Uh, Hmm. That's mainly because the storytelling ethos that I approach things with is role-playing games. And a hermit is definitionally a non-social creature, Mm -hmm. which makes it only of specific use to the types of stories that I tell. Um, So, I like and and typically when a hermit becomes a larger part of the plot, uh, they make a transformation. It's they appeared to be a hermit, they appeared to be a wandering stranger at first, uh, but they were more than they seemed to be, and that actually allows them to become a full-on character. Yeah, okay. They were uh, the the beautiful uh, queen of the forest in disguise, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so like you can you can have your hermit like 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 Scarpy in, in Name of the Wind. Mm-hmm. Like they they tell an important story at an important point, and there's a lot of mystery surrounding who they are. But it's not like both knows Scarpy and like really developed a relationship with him at that point. Yeah. And if Scarpy does return in, into the King Killer series, uh, he's going <laughs> to be coming crossed. back as a more fully flushed character. Yes. Um. So like. That it's it's hard for me to engage with this in uh, a way that I find really compelling, except except for possibly one of the greatest characters in fiction. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's the littlest hobo. The littlest hobo. I think you'll need to educate us on the littlest hobo. <laughs> I know about the oh. biggest hobo, but I've definitely have yeah. never heard of yeah, the littlest hobo. Yeah, give us hobo, the yeah. uh, TED Talk circle yeah. jerk on the littlest hobo. <laughs> the littlest hobo is an extremely low budget Canadian television show oh about a dog <laughs> who wanders from town to town, and every episode a gets a new sack? name and has a brand new adventure. <laughs> Uh, typically, the little Tobo finds people at their lowest point in, in, in points of, of desperation and danger and through uh, canine friendship <laughs> is able to save their lives. But, of course, at the end of the day, the littlest hobo must wander on. Of course. Uh, and will leave their new adopted family after solving their problem. Oh, my God. Uh, so. The Littlest Hobo is the perfect wandering character, in, in my opinion, because they introduce themselves to new people's lives. They establish a social connection with them. They solve a problem and then they move on. Wow. Um, Does that mean so, your character will also be a small wandering puppy? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that I, I mean, The Littlest Hobo is like the ideal form of this, right? Yeah. So, how how do we you know come at that? How how, how can we possibly improve upon the littlest hobo? <laughs> how indeed? And, you know, I'm I'm gonna 
I'm going to try and, and fly towards the sun and my, my wings may melt uh, and, and we'll, we'll see about it. But I, I'm going to try and express what the Littlest Hobo means to me and really means to the larger canon of human fiction. Okay. Oh my. <laughs> wow. This is, this is getting very heady for our show. Open your heart of hearts. <laughs> show us what's mm-hmm. inside, James. And don't forget that coastal uh, affiliation that, exactly. that he has to have here. <laughs> A dog on the coast. Well, that's the thing. That's what needs, like, that's the essence of it is, yeah. is right. This coast yeah. aspect is, is what we're going to have to do. I'm sensing maybe like a, a, I don't know how big of a Tolkien scholar you are, but maybe a littlest hobo roverandum crossover here, uh, because that's about a dog that gets pulled into the ocean and goes on adventures on the uh, bottom of the sea. Uh, There's a dog mm, in yeah. Lord of the Rings. It, no, it's, it's a story that told Lord of the Rings is too boring to have a dog. You liar. <laughs> I was gonna oh, say, come on. No. no, it's a story that Tolkien wrote for his kids before he started any of the other stuff. It's it's about a little uh, stuffed puppy that uh, that's not gets lost the at, the, at the beach. And then, then. the oh, best no. stuff that Tolkien ever writes is the stuff that he did for his kids before he did all the other stuff. Well, okay, Jeez. technically all of it was for his kids. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Cimmerillion was not for children. James, I'm warning you. You're stepping into <laughs> Sam's like his Japanese territory. body pillow of Lord of the Rings, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> it's too many TED Talks. We've got yeah. so many TED Talks already. We've I, created I, nothing. No, I, I have like a sexy anime body pillow that on one side has uh, John Ronald Roll Tolkien and the other side has Christopher Tolkien. And uh, that's Oh, I thought my... you were going to say on the other side has a thousand year history designed by that man. Uh, well, the... Really scintillating stuff. Ooh. No, that's... Uh, and I should have gotten that one instead, but uh, <laughs> you guys are both like going off on like these big ideas. I'm gonna bring it home, and You're I'm gonna start on some of mine that you. I'm thinking Keep about here. Please do. Track, please. I will. All right. So I thought of two things while you were going on. One, your talk about wandering made me think of my favorite wanderer, who is a gentleman by the name of Ben Rumson from the musical Paint Your Wagon. Um, okay. It was made in the 60s. I love that. That's my circle jerk. It's over now. Um, but It was kind of just a line jerk. <laughs> well, I'm entitled to that, so deal with it. Um, but no, so he is a, um, uh, a gold miner in like the California West uh, just mm-hmm. keeps moving every time a town builds up he moves on um, he says where is hell hell is in hello heaven is in goodbye and then that's when I've got to go so that's gonna be sort of the basis of my guy <laughs> I do like the idea um, that he I wasn't really thinking about the wandering part I was definitely thinking of a stationary thing but I with the idea also with the coast what i pictured was sort of like where and this is bringing it into a more of a modern setting but sort of where like a sewage drain exits into the ocean um but i'm thinking kind of like <laughs> you know where there's, i know it's beautiful isn't it welcome but, um, to beautiful new jersey the, well the okay i paradise. literally started thinking about new jersey and i was like well my like vagabond has to just be an under the docks hobo right <laughs> like the kind that would scare the gang from always sunny but now i'm actually thinking more pacific northwest um i'm thinking like a gray dust like dusty beach not dusty <laughs> foggy beach and there's like this big sewage drain that's like covered in like seaweed and stuff from all the times the waves have crashed upon it and if you were to like go and visit this guy 
and like come over for hobo tea uh-huh. he would like part the seaweed curtain that's kind of draped over this little sewer entrance and okay. then kind of peek at you and maybe let you in or he's the whoever the rich uh billionaire from the Lorax is that at the end he just reaches out his weird little Dr. Seuss paw. Yeah, his gloved like, hand. Yeah, his yeah. weird little gloved hand. He just reaches out of the sewer grate and he's like, go plant trees or whatever. I don't, I don't remember the Lorax very well. I just remember the creepy hand coming out of a window. Yeah. Now, but I think this guy, um, I think he walks up and down the coast and he knows mm-hmm. all the best storm drains to like take shelter in Ooh, when he needs okay. to stop. But he's been doing this for a long time, and he he keeps moving on whenever things get too busy or or populated. I imagine he probably has a storm drain for every occasion. Like, he has his favorite luncheon storm drain and his favorite uh, hiding from a thunderstorm storm drain. Well, it depends on where he is at the time. If he's in California and his favorite storm drain is up in Oregon, then... And I'm going off of America stuff, but, you know, we're just going to say my my vagabond lives in America. Yeah, you're right what you'd know. James, what's your favorite storm drain that you've ever... Uh, slept in gosh well do you have time for a 20 minute tech yeah. talk <laughs> always yeah. um, I, that's cool that's cool yeah. I, I like that that's very classic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank you i'll add some more originality to it later yeah uh i, I have some thoughts about mine here I, I, so what i'm kind of thinking is the idea of a, a person who is bi-coastal so if you look at like like George Clooney in Up in the Air or something, where he's always flying around all over the place. He's like, got a hobo that yeah. flies around? Well, he's sort of a hermit because he st- he doesn't like settling down with anything anywhere. He likes sort of hiding away in travel. So he he's not necessarily always in one spot. He's not at the at the border of any one civilization. He's kind of at the border of all civilizations. So He's a man uh, of the world. Yeah, yeah. He's he's I think he's a hermit that's very well traveled and anywhere that he settles down, he has some kind of expertise about the area that he's in even though he you know he didn't grow up there he's passed through it at some point so he's maybe he's kind of like Gandalf adjacent he spent so much time traveling around he has at least a passing knowledge of you know any any civilization or any culture that he may come across I was gonna say if not for the fact that these characters are hermits and don't like to spend time with people I would otherwise say I bet he like knows somebody in every town there's always a couch to crash on but probably not or maybe maybe this is more interesting to bring this more into kind of a fantasy slant here maybe he exists on uh so in like Dungeons and Dragons there's you know the idea of the planes and that there's all the planes basically exist in this big in like space essentially and they they all intersect in the astral plane i think i don't know don't i don't come in at the me city about my, sigil right yeah yeah yes that's it the city of doors or whatever it is right Are you coming up with yeah. a dimensional uh, hobo no this yeah so maybe maybe he is a hermit that lives at the intersection of all planes so he's like right on the border of every plane he's on the border of the plane of fire the border of the plane of water the border of the plane of air the astral plane the phys- physical plane all of these things so maybe he's I, some I, sort I like of that. meta being yeah that, wow okay well that, that makes that sense that gives him the ability to actually form relationships. Yes. Like I, again, the the thing that bothers me about vagabond characters yeah. is that they're mostly props and not characters. Yes. So maybe if this person doesn't even have control over which plane they're oriented to, oh, it creates like a that. thing like it's kind of like Phantom Stranger from DC Comics is like yeah. uh, you know, they're on their side they're on your side but like they're not always there and around and when they are around they're at, around at just the right moment yeah. with just the right yeah. thing. Maybe he's a benevolent being that was cursed to 
be constantly pulled in and out of these other planes. So he like sometimes he'll be in one plane for, you know, a split second and people will see him and be like, oh, it's a harbinger of something. And they'll mm-hmm. go chasing after him. And if you find him in, you know, Sigil, which is his home realm, maybe, or, or maybe there's some other, uh, you know, crossover realm that we would use specifically for him. But uh, my main question that comes out of that is, is your person somebody who is like, are they are they a mortal that suddenly got sucked into something like this and therefore this experience and living this way would make them like crazy or are they somebody who's like a interdimensional being and this is just the way everything has always been and they're used to it and they're fine with it I think that maybe they were originally immortal and a, a mortal and they were cursed by a god or something like that to Oh ha- yeah, have they this, have like, to like in order existence. to move on to the next world, they have to do a hundred good deeds or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. exactly, exactly. Something like that. So they're jumping between planes, they're being violently ripped between planes, and they have to you know, they have limited time in each place to help as many people as they can to break this curse. I think your person oh, needs- what if they're a lich? Oh, that would be kind of cool. That would work. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think they need like an anchor stone, something to keep yeah. them sane while jumping around all the time. Well, so if they're a lich, then of course they have to have their their phylactery, which maybe they don't know where it is. Maybe it's lost somewhere in the, you know, infinity of the planes uh, at some point. Yeah, this is like quantum there. leap meets sliders, <laughs> but there's a redemption story at the heart of it. That's yeah. very neat. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, and anything that you are uh, yeah, James, uh, thinking about, James? Sprinkle us yeah. Spice, what you got? Okay, so the obviously, you know, starting from the littlest hobo as, as the paragon <laughs> of, of this genre of character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nothing in the guidebook I says want, dogs can't be hobos, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I want to pull in uh, the next bit of inspiration for this, and that is the Selkie myth. Oh, Selkies. Uh, yeah. Yeah, when I was young, I, I watched The Secret of Roan Inish, which is just a, mm-hmm. a rad Selkie movie if you have not had the chance to watch it. Um, but Selkies, for those that don't know, are sea lions uh, who can shed their sea lion skin and become humans. And in the traditional myth, they they walk on land and they're usually beautiful women and men marry them and fall madly in love with them and have kids or whatever. But one (laughs) day find like a sea lion skin and they're like, what, what's the deal with this? (laughs) And it turns out that their spouse has been a sea lion the whole time and they disappear. That's interesting Uh, you say that because the, the version of the, of the myth that I've always heard is that the the seafaring men they know that they're selkies and if you capture a selkie's seal skin then she has to stay your wife it's sort yeah. of like a marriage so, by capture yeah and that is the uh, coercive yeah. version of the story <laughs> that's, that's the one i know slightly cr- that's like the yeah. very uh, male gazy perspective of it yes that's the woman <laughs> so i mean they're they're both like kind of male gazy because yeah. at the end of the day it's it's like about a man's uh, fundamental inability to control a woman. Of course. Yeah, because like, you know, relate to, right? the, the end of the, the end of the Selkie myth is that, uh, you know, she always gets her skin back, yeah. like, and she is going to leave. Uh, so like you, you don't really have control over that. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think the uh, el- the the like uh, familial and, and and sexual element of that is something that maybe we don't need here because what we're doing is littlest hobo stuff. So I think <laughs> I there's no sexual things tied into that. Yeah, please, please don't. Uh, I don't want hey, that to be the way. There's we enough wild stuff going on into uh, the littlest hobo. 
I can tell you about the season three episode, the Genesis tapes, where oh we have a scientist theorize that there are as many as 100 mar- remarkable dogs that walk what? this earth solving problems. Well, but we don't have time for my littlest hobo <laughs> TED talk. Uh, here's so, the thing, though, James. All dogs are remarkable. Uh, and you would do well to remember that. And all dogs go to heaven. Uh, look, as, as a dog owner, I will say my dog is not as remarkable as the littlest hobo. Or okay, active. Fair, fair. Um, so I, I would say that uh, this is a Selkie character. This is a sea line character who, you know, moves up and down the coast and hangs out a lot around uh, fisher people cool. um, mm-hmm. and maybe learns about their problems as they discuss them on the boat and occasionally uh, sheds their skin and moves onto land to solve those problems. Oh, that's nice of her or him, yeah, okay. depending. Okay, I like that. What is What is her on land house look like is it just like a timeshare like she has like her they underwater don't home? have one okay don't <laughs> they primarily live as a sea lion okay um and so they have to like when they go on land i think especially because they're moving around so much uh every time they go on land they're essentially starting over okay and cool. all they have as tools are like their wits ah. nice yeah I like and that. they're gorgeous good looks yeah of course Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. exactly. So, so like you know, they'll hear that uh, one of the young fisher people out out on the boats is like, ah, you know, I I have I have this crush on this person that they'd be the love of my life, but I but I can't speak to them, and so the sea lion needs to go on land and figure out how to set this person up with the person of their dreams. <laughs> be a matchmaker. I love this. It's underwater yeah. hitch. <laughs> It's the best. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's it's not just Hitch. It's, you know, yeah, any, uh, any uh, I can't, I haven't spoken to my dad in 10 years. Oh. Well, I'm going to fix that. I'm a sea lion, <laughs> God damn it. I don't know how to balance my checkbook. If only <laughs> exactly. someone would help me. Yes. <laughs> of course. Oh, I really like that. I, I like just this, just this really like fluffy, friendly, fun, good deed, kind of guardian angel. Uh, character. I think that's really nice. Yeah, I like that yours has a, a, a quest and a job of helping people. Yeah. I think my guy just kind of like sits in a storm drain all day, <laughs> <laughs> like braiding the seaweed that he finds. Yeah. Um, but I was actually thinking, James, based on some of the things that you were saying earlier about how like the, the one of the defining traits in your mind of a hermit character is that they don't really have much character. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was actually thinking is that I think it would be interesting, my kind of like mental solution to that is, well, what if this hermit, though, before they became a hermit, they had this whole story and they were a character and they were the lead of their own tale, but something went wrong Mm. and they ended up here. Um, And it's the kind of thing where I've seen a few TV shows that have done kind of like artistic episodes out of the blue where they attempt to do something like this where and the example that i can give is i don't know if you've ever seen or heard of hell on wheels uh which was a a western show on amc but um in their later seasons like in the middle of the season there was a random episode that just suddenly took you to these native american characters that you had never seen before and the entire hour-long episode is just following you know their lives and their journey and at the end of the episode their plot line meets up with the normal plot line that we've been following otherwise. And that's kind of more of what I'm thinking, is that if my hermit was somebody important once, made some bad decisions, now lives in a storm drain on the coast, (laughs) and it seems as if his life is worth nothing now, but then perhaps 
right when he's about to give up, that's when the main character is running down the beach because someone's trying to kill them. And he says, you know what? Get in my storm drain. You can hide here. And that person survives. And then they say, thank you. And they leave. And that's the end of that. I don't know. It's one last good deed to before, you know, his story ends. So they've already lived their full life. Exactly. And all that they want to do is just to give some, something back to... I think, no. Most of what they want to do is be left alone and sit... In, at least for my guy, I think he wants to kind of wallow in his the mistakes of his past. But then, you know, one night he decides to to help, like he once used so to. So this do. is a common action movie archetype. You know, you have the ex special forces soldier oh, yeah. <laughs> who, you know, has a dark past that of they course. want to forget. I love but a then, dark past. Then, like, a kid is being threatened, and they can't abide that. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, even though they don't want to get drawn back into the life they used to live, they have to because somebody depends on them. Right. Uh, Something like yeah. that. Yeah, of course. I said I'd never that's, kill that's, again. That's, yeah. that's Shane Sexcastle from the excellent comic Sex Castle. So, yeah. <laughs> that to my list yeah we'll definitely be checking that one out oh that comic rules <laughs> i i think that's also uh you see that a lot in it's a very uh like samurai trope you know the samurai who's spent his whole life killing all he knows how to do is kill he's just a weapon of destruction and he says no i'll never take up my sword again mm-hmm. until you know they find some you know young maiden or young child or something to help and they say well maybe i can finally do some good with all of this evil that i've you know built up i feel like now because we're comparing it to these such grand things that i need to bring my guy down a level and instead of like letting a lady have shelter when she's being chased by a murderer (laughs) it needs to be something more like he decides to enter a crochet contest and and wins (laughs) and then he's like sweet that was one last bonus for me (laughs) (laughs) then he he goes back to his hovel donates his 15 dollar blockbuster gift card uh to charity that that he got for first prize or whatever so so in your mind your your desire for this uh character viper is to have them essentially tell one story I'm only picturing his tale at the moment, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are okay. definitely people in his past who he has influenced their stories, but I haven't thought into detail about them yet. Honestly, because I'm going along the lines of sort of like the California gold rush, I think at one point he was a, a swell dapper man with a top hat and a waistcoat and a whole bunch of gold that he got at some point, yeah. but that all was gone eventually, and now he lives in a sewer drain, but he likes to crochet. I, I kind of like you're you're drawing, I think, an interesting distinction here, because for me, what I see about the hermit is that it, their past, the specifics of it don't really matter. It just has to be that they have some kind of mysterious and interesting past. You know that they know things because they've been around the block, but you don't necessarily have any specific insight into you know, what they've done or, or who they were. It's just about how they can help the character. And I like the idea that the whole point of your character is that it's the... You know, it's the hermit looking back on his, on on his, it, the hermit being visited by the ghost of Christmas past, basically, uh, I think is interesting. And I, I think a good thing to balance out uh, are, I don't know, more altruistic hermits, I guess, that are trying to help people. <laughs> <laughs> I also have to say, um, I've known the name of my hermit since Sam told me that the topic this week was hermits like a week oh. ago and my guy's name is kermit the hermit i'm sorry but kermit that's what hermit. it must be love it that's yes. fine uh 
you snatch that one right out from under our noses. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe instead of a storm dream, he could live in a swamp and, yeah. I don't know, play a banjo? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Did you think about that one? I know, right? Then, oh, my God. What if he goes right. to Hollywood eventually? What yeah. if he sees a pig one day and just falls yeah. in love? Well, maybe that was how he... Now we've got yeah. the romance yeah. element. There we go. I think maybe that was how he got sucked into the gold rush initially, was that he was sitting in a swamp playing a banjo, and instead of going to Hollywood, he went out on the gold rush. And he's friends with a California grizzly bear? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That plays and a, piano. And a something. whatever. Yeah, and a whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, well, you know, I think we all have a pretty solid foundation. Yeah, we should add here. some modifiers yeah. in. Let's, let's let's switch it up. Let's spice it up a bit. Uh, James, because we are recording this remotely and we don't have your uh, finger handy, I'm going to go ahead and spin the uh, uh, patented World Forge uh, roulette wheel for you. And, ooh, I forgot to turn off the. We get some Foley work here because I've. I forgot to turn off the volume on my phone. Love that Foley. <laughs> yes, good Foley work. Uh, so you get, ooh, all right. So the modifier that you get is, this isn't even my final form, which means you have to come up with some type of a, like a next stage, the next evolution of your uh, your hermit. What is your hermit's power up? Yeah. What happens? Yeah. So, how, you know, obviously, like, Frieza maintains his lower level form to preserve his energy, but when he really needs to pull out all the stops, he steps up to the next level. Like, what is your next level? I like level that Frieza was your example for well, that. Of course it is. Uh, <laughs> also, wait one second. I have to do my thing before we continue. Okay. What is I've it? got Hermit the Kermit. Sam, you need a name. James, you need a name. No, what I are refuse. What you guys? Because <laughs> you can't just be the. The puppy hobo, unless you want to be the puppy hobo. That's true. Well, okay, it's out on the table. We have to think about names right now. Either go for a final form or go for a name. The choice is yours, James. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, I, I naming characters is the worst. I, I prefer to build up Thank this you. character's entire thematic. <laughs> uh, I completely uh, agree. Sp- um, so... Okay, final form thing. Well, we have the Selkie myth, right? Mm-hmm. So changing mm-hmm. forms is part of it. Yes. Um, so I kind of think, so they definitely like their default thing is sea lion and they come out of the water and they are a human. Um, but if you start them on what? fire, what do they turn into? <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, so the, so they've got Even like a badger bigger. form and a, yeah. I don't know what goes through fire, a phoenix form. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like if your goal is to help people, mm-hmm. what is what what levels you up in your ability to help people and step in because like I really Santa. like the idea <laughs> yeah, it, it's like non-violent intervention. You so turn into it is, Mr. Rogers. Maybe, maybe you grow wings and you're like an actual angel. Yeah, maybe. You know what? I kind of like the idea of the wings, if anything, because it's going from a creature of the sea to a creature of the land to a creature of the air. So that kind of makes sense yeah. to me. That's true. It's kind of poetic. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I think that that'll be it. Uh, and the wings, maybe they don't always come out. Uh it's interesting. I, I like. I'm trying to sort out my meta mythology yeah. for like. I understand selkies. I think selkies are just a thing, and that this is just a particularly <laughs> like uh, helpful selkie that likes to travel around a lot. But now that it has these wings, it feels like it's 
there's there's a reason there's a reason that it has that ability uh that that is perhaps greater than you know what meets our eyes maybe maybe you can choose one particular individual to become their like guardian angel so to speak and you become attuned to one individual but you can make their life like perfect or something i was gonna say there needs to be a reason for her to earn her wings yeah what good deed did she do that gave her that final form yeah, you know what? Maybe this is just how angels work and that there's a sea line to angel pipeline. I like it. We solved it. You're welcome, Christianity. We finally figured out the angel conundrum. AKA, That's always be nice to sea lions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're just angels waiting to happen. Okay. Yes, exactly. I like that. I mean, I don't know. I hope you like that, James. You can change it if you want to. <laughs> I mean, th- that's that's what I have figured out. Um, and since, you know, transforming is part of it, uh, like, I do like the idea that, like, yeah, the ultimate form of what this creature is might be an angel, like like a guardian angel. But, you know, they really do enjoy helping many different types of people, yeah. uh, you know, in some large ways and some small ways. Yeah. So. I like it. And I think, you know, kind of the, the purpose of this show is to give our listeners something to build upon. And I think that is something you can very easily adapt to whatever you think is convenient for your story. You know, if, if it is, you know, a sea-based guardian angel, maybe it's she turns into something that watches over sailors or turns into something that watches over fishermen or something like that. You could very easily adapt this to be about an individual or a, a specific type of individual or a group of people or, you know, what have you. Oh, I think maybe every feather on their wings mm. is from a good deed that they've done. Ooh. So Aww. the the more good deeds that they do, the stronger and fuller their wings are, the better ability they have to help other people. I like that. Now, does that mean that as soon as they step out of the water and they become a human being, do they have these weird naked chicken limbs that are sticking <laughs> off their backs and they help somebody and one little feather pops up and they look pretty gruesome until they really fill, fill out? Yeah, those or first is it kind couple of like, deeds are really hard to, to get yeah. Or is it like invisible wings and then they they appear once they're fully formed? I, I, I Well, I think, you know, Dragon Ball Z anime style, yeah. it's that thing where we're watching the whole episode or plot arc because we yeah. know they're going to bring out that transformation. Yes, of like, course. Oh, you could have solved that problem so easily if you just used your wings earlier. Yeah. But it's not time yet. We don't form Voltron yet. We form yes. Voltron at the end. And it's much more interesting if I don't use my final form right away. I'm just doing this for sport. I'm doing good deeds, you know, the hard way because it's more fun for me. <laughs> Uh, I I think uh, I think that's a good use of that modifier. Uh, I will I'll go ahead. I think you went first. Last yeah, do time, it. Piper, so spin I'll that I'll spin wheel, mine. Sam. Did you turn it on mute? Uh, yeah, it's on mute now. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> what horrible uh, way will I have to mess up my? Okay, so I got wrench in the gears, and I feel like every time we do this, we switch it. Up. I forget how it works. Either I mess up someone else's creation or someone else messes up my creation. I think it's my creation gets messed up, right? No. When we first came up with this, a wrench in the gears means you get to throw a wrench into one of our <laughs> gears. So you get to mess something up if you want to. Okay. All right. Do you want to wait until I add my modifier? Yeah, I want so you to you add your modifier to mess up. Well, I think about this. Yeah. Okay. I can cool. never keep this one straight. I'm embarrassing myself in front of professional podcaster James Damato. Only because you're drawing <laughs> attention to it. All right, I'm spinning this wheel. What do I have? Let's see here. Ooh, keep spinning. Ugh, sweet. Okay, cool. I've got 
I'll never tell, which Ooh. means that my character now needs to have a dark secret. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think this works out well with what I've already kind of set up for my loner ex-gold uh, millionaire fellow. Yeah. If, if the whole point is the backstory, then... Exactly, yeah. because I've made that my thing. Um, so, oh, man, he definitely had to kill, like, a bunch of people. I think that's part <laughs> of it. Oh, shit! <laughs> wow. wow! He stepped it up. Yeah, that's what would really lead a man wow. to throw out his top hat and live in a storm drain. Yeah, okay, because why... Okay, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this, this man, like, performing personal bespoke murders or has he merely caused the death See, of a uh, lot of people bespoke murders here's what i'm thinking i'm thinking he had to be the sort of like corrupt uh higher up type he was that... daniel plainview from there will be blood basically sure i mean so i think he originally he started off as a humble like gold Piner, miner, Peter Pat, gold piner. He yeah. wants to Piper. date that gold yeah. very hard. <laughs> he did, and you know he made his fortune, and it was enough that he could buy some significant land in in California. And there he found, you know, he sent out his scouts, and he found that there were like other gold pockets, probably, and he like had this mine, and he's hired people to come in and mine the gold for him. Now I think at some point, you know, that little canary came back and was like. <coughs> not good and he's like eh, send him in anyway it's fine and all of his reckless decisions happened and then there was definitely somebody warned him there would be like a big like collapse or there was an earthquake coming they felt the tremors and he sent them all in anyway maybe it was a bunch of like orphans on a field trip and he's like you get in that mine and you pine that gold everyone knows that <laughs> orphans make the best gold panners they have those tiny little hands exactly for they're good at picking out the, out the little nuggets picking out the little nuggets and there was a collapse in the mine and so many people died and yeah. I I think probably most of the people in that town were miners who worked for him. So like 75% of and, the and town population. And by miners, you mean people under the legal age to vote. Yes, <laughs> miners with an O, yes. Exactly. Yeah. They were all miners. children working his gold mine and they all died. Um, and it, uh, at, you know, it, it, the guilt of it, it racked him to his core. Also, all of their the mothers and wives of the town then ran him out on a rail. They're like, okay. you get out of here. You killed our, our boys and our husbands and our brothers and our uncles and our fathers. And he's like, well, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he started But I do walking. love a good crochet. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The only thing they let him take were his needles and his crochet materials. Yeah. And he started walking along the coast. And Until eventually... Until he found the best darn storm drain oh, this side so of the Rocky Mountains. Oh, with so much seaweed. And he just started braiding and crocheting. And that's where he stayed. Okay. Kind of left to... I think actually... I'm going to make it a bit more interesting. He's definitely haunted by the ghosts of the people that he that died oh, in his that mind. Oh, that's a Decemberist song, if I've ever yes. heard one. Yeah. No, every night when he, he, he tries to go to sleep, a new ghost visits him and they tell him their tale of their lives and their dreams that they hope to accomplish, but they can't now because they're dead because he sent them dead. in there. I like that. Yeah. And so maybe people just kind of view him as this helpful hermit who lives in the storm drain. No, no one still, thinks he's nobody, helpful. No one thinks he's helpful? Nope. No. They see <laughs> oh, that guy okay. and they're like, stay away from him. That guy's bad news. Oh, Don't okay. go in there. That guy looks like an old robber baron. Yeah, he yeah, does. Exactly. He looks like the guy who killed all yeah, those kids. He definitely looks like the kind of man that could have done murders and covered it up and not really cared. Right? I think <laughs> one of the ghosts that comes to him 
he actually really likes. Like, that's his buddy. Like, those two have kind of built up a rapport after all the years okay. of these ghosts. Because they're only about, like, I don't know, maybe 50 ghosts yeah. that, like, come and visit him every night. So he gets to see this, like, everybody every now and then. And one of these dudes comes in and it's like, woo, I'm just kidding. It's me, man. What's happening? Yeah. And they, you know, they kind of, they <laughs> chat. Oh, kind of like, like, like Marley from, from Scrooge. Like, that's just his shitty business partner. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who just, also died in there. Right. <laughs> yes. So he's got one It just kind of comes and roasts him once in a while. <laughs> one person you can kind of like yeah. enjoy their company when they're haunting or them. a casper and then like one friendly casper and a million of casper's shitty brothers or whatever he he's had. got some awful well, i like that he's not yeah, a friendly was. casper he is like <laughs> a, a, a sh- an enabler essentially oh yeah oh okay he's like if it's i like you want been... you want me to tell <laughs> my dreams were to continue living and profiting off of those people that we murdered yeah. together. Oh, totally. <laughs> just, it didn't work out. If no, this ghost had been in uh, in Her- Kermit the Hermit's shoes, he would have done the same thing, but he wasn't, yep. so he he didn't get to do this. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I, I wouldn't have ended up at such a sad sack, but, you know, <laughs> that's me. Also, I think he always comes to him because I think these 50 ghosts, these souls are kind of locked together in their purgatory, so when they're okay. not cycling in to haunt him, they're kind of hanging out with each other were they locked together was it like a underground chain gang was that like how they were when they were alive no i think the souls are just tied to one another due to the fact of their shared circumstance yeah, okay but um so whenever his buddy ghost comes in he just spills all the tea and he's like oh my god you won't believe what tony said to bob the other day <laughs> like let me tell you you're getting your ectoplasm all over my coffee mugs again <laughs> exactly uh, you you remember elias he was the orphan with black lung <laughs> he's just got black long still has it still coughs still in my ear it. every goddamn day They'll probably have it for eternity as far as we can tell there's no doctors here because you didn't murder any doctors <laughs> hey murder a doctor won't you please murder a doctor come fix hey, could you please lung. kill a doctor <laughs> yeah, really really appreciate the coughing's getting on our nerves maybe murder a few prostitutes that'd be <laughs> yeah, nice that'd be really great <laughs> Uh, I, I like that. Just because they know how to talk to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah we just, we're just missing some good conversation. Actually, murder a therapist. <laughs> Please kill a therapist. Oh, this is a very fun dark secret. Thank you. Okay, do you want to throw a wrench into one yeah, of these tales? So I, yeah, who's, who's getting the wrench? I think you're getting the wrench here, James, because I, I yes. feel like I can't... Uh, I couldn't really ruin this poor hermit's life any more than it already is. Like, it sounds like kind of a miserable existence. So I'm thinking maybe there's something about, um, there's some kind of a, besides being a big naked featherless chicken or whatever, when you come out of the water, whatever. Jeez. We decided, uh, this, <laughs> if that's the wrench you're that's throwing, it's wrench. a hell of a wrench. <laughs> I mean, that's more or less what it already is. I, I want to say maybe until you get your wings, not only are you a weird, hideous chicken monster, but maybe you're blind or something. I, I don't know. Something that would make it harder for you what? to help people. I don't know. <laughs> You should just make it that, like, you just stick with the, like, chicken monster the thing. Chicken instead monster of a thing? beautiful woman that, like, sheds her sail skin. That, yeah, a, that makes more sense. That big chicken beast. Yeah, so instead of being a beautiful woman when you come out, you're you're a horrible naked chicken monster, and you have to earn your feathers to turn into a beautiful Okay, okay, well, let's clarify one thing. <laughs> By naked chicken monster, do you just mean... An angel that doesn't have feathers on their wings, or do you mean actually a naked chicken monster? Boy, 
I think I mean actually a naked chicken monster. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. okay. Sorry we stole the... Well, yeah, I mean, look, that's how the modifier works. I'm sorry that my modifier really was more of a modifier for you. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I mean, this is... So, America did attempt to make a Littlest Hobo style <laughs> series. Um, of course, there's a Littlest Hobo themed solution for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, and, you know, it was uh, with a character that I think has a lot less uh, dramatic gravitas okay. than, than, than the Littlest Hobo that has, like, <laughs> a small uh, magic you know, is, is more... Is more derivative, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's the Hulk. Um, <laughs> and Makes the sense. Hulk was a monster yeah. and, you know, did move from town to town helping people, but, but was a monster as they did it. Uh, so now, like, we're just doubling up on that big cryptid energy uh, that <laughs> this creature has, like, already as a Selkie, yeah. already as, like, kind of a, a cryptid. Now they're they just like are a cursed looking wretched thing yeah. uh, that, you know, they have to do a lot of their helping in secret because <laughs> the world would reject them. Yeah, you're less sulky, more Mothman, just something more horrifying, I think, than I actually yeah, think that's like form. this is kind of very appropriate because yeah. if you look back at like the like original like fairy tales and myths and things, they're all horrifying. Yeah, the, yeah, the beauty element of it, I think, came in a lot later. Most yeah. often, like it makes way more sense that in sort of like even with your Decemberist like kind of dark grim world theme, like. A sailor would see a, like a sea lion and be like, "Ooh, I bet a beautiful woman is about to emerge from the waves. I saved the seal from my net, but now out comes this freaky chicken thing <laughs> walking out of the waves." And like, "Oh God, what?" Yeah, I, and and I think, "Hey, it, how you doing, hot <laughs> stuff?" Exactly. And I think it makes it more valuable when you do finally earn your your feathers and your wings because it was so much harder for you to to do those good deeds because everyone was horrified of you. <laughs> Well, then the people that you're helping, they learn a lesson as well. Because yes. it's that story of like, you know, the beauties in the inside. That's true. When they allow the monster to help them, then a beautiful angel is born. Yeah. Hey. So you're welcome for your next uh, Dungeons and Dragons character, James D'Amato. Oh, uh, we- yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, I think that's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> any any way that you want to rebut that, <laughs> James? I mean, like uh, doubling up on that that cryptid factor, yeah. I, I think is really good, and I actually like tying it in to the Mothman a little bit. Yeah, I love uh, a good Mothman, honestly. So, so maybe part of this whole thing is they're getting premonitions Ooh. about disasters and tragedies that are yeah. to take place when the, when they go near these fishermen. That they, they see that. And so they go on land and they have to transform into the, the Mothman. Wow. Um, and maybe as they have transformed, like, like maybe, maybe human form is like kind of a pass through. Uh, so they don't emerge as a terrible monster, but like the longer they stay on land, the more monstrous they become, I like but that. also the clearer their prophecies become yeah. too. Okay. So, so it becomes you know, harder like, for people to trust them, but they really are more trustworthy as they stay longer on land. Yeah. And it, and it makes it easier for like, at first they're like just trying to guess, like maybe they, they see, you know, oh, this fisherman is going to die. 
I don't know how they're going to die. And I essentially have to stalk this person and follow them around <laughs> to, to figure it out and maybe save their life. And, you know, they'll get more and more of the vision as they become more monstrous. Uh, and so it, it becomes more dangerous to like operate on land around humans as you start to look less and less human. Uh, but you have a greater ability to help people, but also the intensity that clock is, is, is moving forward rapidly. I like that. You like that too. You've taken a wrench and you've jammed it right up into my wrench and uh, turned this 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 terrible trait into a pretty cool positive trait, in my opinion. It's, I'm glad we arrived there at some point. Yes. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> it also kind of establishes a bit more sort of like this rule system that we've been talking about in a lot of our recent episodes of like, well, we like having sort of like a countdown or like a rule or something in place to kind of like give yeah. us guidelines to like build yeah. off of. So that's yeah. nice. Yeah, I agree. I, I yeah, that's it. I yeah. agree. <laughs> okay, Sam, I think we've talked about your dimensional hobo the least. All we that's know true. is we really that have, they yeah. pop in and out of places all around the world um, and can maybe interact with people. Yeah. Well, Give I us more. I think they're just a normal person that lives for. Well, they're a lich, I guess. They they live forever, yeah. but probably to to any random passerby, they would be more or less human passing. People wouldn't necessarily immediately assume that they're a lich. If, you know, if a a cleric or a wizard or someone with sufficient magical prowess saw them, they'd probably know like, oh, that's a little weird. But I think to most people, they would just seem like kind of a, you know, a normal person that just has something kind of strange about them. Um, and I think, I think the most interesting thing is that, you know, like Lich automatically is evil in almost all circumstances. I, I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever encountered in a story or in a D&D game or anything like that a lich that has... The Adventure Zone is it. That's the only that's one I know. The, that's true. That's a good of, point, yeah. actually. The Adventure Zone has, like, a semi-benevolent lich. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like the idea of a traditionally evil character that's just like, no, I... My my desire to break this curse is greater than my desire to do evil or to do, you know, whatever my, my baser instinct and and drive is to do so it's just doing anything it can to try and break this curse that was given to it by whatever god i suppose it would probably be uh maybe the reason they were cursed was because they were trying to become a lich and they maybe maybe they like prayed. i got a i got a wrench for you oh give me a wrench give me a wrench, what please. if the reason that the, the, they haven't necessarily been cursed by an outside force but merely by their own hubris you know a lich obviously in order to live forever needs to protect its phylactery and they were trying to concoct this spell that would essentially like trap their phylactery in a schrodinger's box existing on all planes and no planes at the same time but something went wrong and now randomly their phylactery will teleport to different planes um it's really disorienting and like at first probably uh, they'd get teleported into a new plane and you know they'd raise hell and do everything they could to yeah. get their hands on their phylactery again but uh, very quickly like it, it just became well this is impractical like I'm fighting these huge <laughs> battles every week or so so maybe I'll, I'll play it chill on this next plane and through the process of like subtly questing after their yeah. phylactery and looking for things they actually got to know people going with a diplomatic approach it's yeah. kind of a um, yeah. uh, groundhog's day 
when they learn to kind of roll with it <laughs> yes. and learn from yes. their experiences. Exactly. Then they can finally. Oh, your liches, Bill Murray. This yes, is great. Oh no, that is the perfect way to, to. Yeah, I think that just puts the perfect little cap on this. Is that it's a lich that every time it warps into a into a. A new plane or whatever it's experienced that before and it has to just iterate upon it and do it one better and maybe it has to collect the pieces of its phylactery across all these infinite planes so it's groundhog's day spread across a thousand different planes now it's planes gonna be of hard for me to watch groundhog's day and not think that that's what's happening to him is thinking that about the he, bill the bill murray multiverse right because he if we watch <laughs> it we think oh he's just like looping in this one spot but what if he's going to multiple dimensions every time i oh, like that crazy Ooh, yeah. cool. well because drob thor drob thor the fallen <laughs> ned ryerson <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, watch out for that uh, fall into the plane of uh, at the astral plane. It's a real doozy, right? Um, <laughs> I like that. It, so what I was kind of thinking, I think this Groundhog's Day approach is a better idea. What I was kind of thinking is maybe they became a lich and you know, all of their, they were trying to protect their phylactery and it got flung all over the, the multiverse or all across the planes. And they were like, Ooh, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I regret this immediately. And maybe they made a pact with like a benevolent God. And the God was like, if you do a bunch of good deeds, mm-hmm. I'll recollect your phylactery so you can have it again. And you can, re- you know, regain your humanity or you can do whatever you want with it. But I if think every the- day you catch a kid falling from a tree, you help a man who's choking, <laughs> you get some yes. uh, monster truck tickets for this new yeah. couple. If you play piano at this concert, then you'll, you'll get the girl yeah. and Sonny and Cher wakes him up every single day exactly <laughs> uh I, yeah I, I think combining the Bill Murray aspect into that the Groundhog's Day aspect is very important one way or another I think that's really good sweet oh man Un- undead Bill Murray was the gift that I never knew I needed for for Christmas right <laughs> uh well I I think that's cool I mean does anybody have any final thoughts on their creations any any last little kind of my only question is, do we think it's possible that any of our characters will ever interact or run into one another? Yeah. I mean, my guy spends most of his time sitting in a storm drain. So unless either of you just happen to, you know, part the seaweed curtains and yeah. take a peek inside or you teleport within there on one of your roundabout trips, probably you won't well, see my guy. I would say the two of you would be more likely to run into each other like person to person. But I also want to say that my my lich is... Someone that maybe any adventurer has a chance of just randomly bumping into him somewhere. He, you know, he is all over all the planes all the time. So, oh, this character yeah. has a lot of crossover potential. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to picture Sam. Can you describe to us what you imagine your lich to look like? Does he look like a Bill Murray, or does he look like an ev- Adventure Time he, no, skull-faced man? He literally is Bill Murray, I think, at this point. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's I'm just imagining. Bill Murray. It's just yeah. Bill Murray. Okay, cool. That's I what I was picturing. This is our, I think this has just turned into the sequel to Groundhog's Day, honestly. I like <laughs> it. Groundhog's Day to Groundhog Harder, or whatever. That would be actually so depressing, because like he spent like 40-some years on that loop, and if he got sucked into another one, like, oh, I would yeah. feel so bad for him. And Imagine if there were. Well, but I mean, that means million. he regressed too. I like, know. What, what oh, happened to his relationship with Rita? Exactly. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
and if, if there were seven million Punxsutawneys all with different rules like of you know physics and, and laws of space and time that he has to understand oh, yeah well now we're getting yeah. into sliders territory yes. Subasa territory which <laughs> fascinating stuff there yes truly uh yeah so this also gives me a nice out for having to come up with a name for this character because it's uh, just Bill Murray yeah I've <laughs> once again I've gotten out of naming my character it's well just done. Bill Murray <laughs> Uh, I don't think I. I think that does leave it to you, though. There is uh, a name requirement for uh, your Selkie Mothman uh, abomination here, or at least how do you lovingly refer to them? Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> this is what Piper uh, always does to me every episode is just totally put me on the spot. So it's kind of nice being on the other side of it, James. I have to admit. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I miss I miss these circumstances of uh, campaign where I can just uh, give them a bad name oh, yeah. <laughs> and just live with that forever. You can give them a bad um, name. Give them a totally bad name if you want. We're, this is fine. That's fine. My one, like, animal creation was called the, like, Spindly Woosters. Yeah. Because the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> Most of our names are just spill alphabet soup all over your counter, and that's what we've come up with, basically. Well, I'll just say, you know, they're, they're primary... Uh, primarily a sea lion so uh their name is like an onomatopoeia for a sea lion bark of so course. it's like oh, oh. that's yeah. just their name i like it i like that it, it's a name that cannot be rendered by the human tongue uh it, it cannot be perfectly captured in writing of i think course. and if they ever like tried to introduce themselves and they do that kind of like <laughs> sort of a thing someone's like i'm sorry are you are you ill do you need a do you need some water <laughs> yeah <laughs> James, is someone. Well, I'm going to be a monster in a little bit, so <laughs> yeah. we got to skip yes. this part. <laughs> we got about 30 got seconds on the clock do. here. Yeah. Uh, no, James, as someone who is uh, like, I lie awake at night, uh, terrified of the idea of Piper forcing me to come up with a name for something. Uh, that is an inspired way to get out of coming up with a name for something. <laughs> <laughs> just make the first sound that comes to your head yes exactly but no i i think that's that's uh that's great um so i think we can kind of wrap up this segment of the show and move on to the part where we stop talking about ourselves and our wonderful genius beautiful perfect creations and talk about someone else out in the wide world of podcasting or dungeons and dragons or writing or creation that uh, we find to be inspiring or helpful or interesting that we think you should go check out um and uh i see piper pulling up something on her phone here it looks like she's got some thoughts uh, james anything that you can think of anybody that you want to shout out that you think people should go and listen to uh yeah so the, i mean if you are looking for more like in-depth storytelling analysis mm-hmm. like uh you know basically calling out the fact that hey you know these characters are usually props and not not really characters Mm -hmm. and how do we flesh that out uh there's a great resource uh that's going to be coming out on october 3rd of this year called the ultimate rpg gameplay guide and uh this wonderful author uh wrote it uh james damato that's it that's who it is uh i was thinking i was like didn't you write a book james hold on a minute (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. uh so you can check that out uh uh, no, no, no. Um, so if we're looking for other great resources, uh, I think both uh, character establishing and, and world building resources, this is like kind of a half plug. And that is for the All My Fantasy Children podcast. Ooh. That's uh, one of the wonderful shows that we have on the One Shot Network. Um, All My Fantasy Children is just 
a wonderfully rich world-building podcast uh, where Jeff Stormer of the Party of One podcast and, and Aaron Catano Saez, uh, who is uh, really just of AMFC, but he's also a vocal coach and, and so many other wonderful things. They just create characters together and put them in this beautiful, rich world. Uh, it's so much fun to see. So I awesome. definitely recommend yeah. that like you always you always want more shows where you hear people being creative and it makes you want to be creative yeah. yourself. I think that sounds that's great. And yeah, I, I completely agree. I think some of the best advice I can give to, you know, new dungeon masters and writers and storytellers is look at what other people are doing, you know, see how other people create and try and build upon the things that they're doing, you know, it, everything that could ever exist has already been invented already, right? So just iterate on something else or take something that's out there and change it or see what other people are doing and find a way to kind of enhance it or change it or learn from it. I think that's great advice. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that's kind of my second best piece of advice. My best piece of advice is just buy my book. It's all in there. <laughs> You'll have all the answers that you've ever been looking for and yes, so much more. <laughs> it's only $14. That's amazing. That's wow. Incredible. It's practically free. <laughs> exactly. It, the book practically buys itself. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You can go to bit.ly slash RPG gameplay and pick it up right there. It's so easy. Uh, so easy to remember. Uh, bit.ly slash RPG gameplay. <laughs> this episode wow. sponsored by the estate of James Tabata. <laughs> Same joke every single time. Well, I'm going to overpass Sam and I'm going to go right to the, uh, the thank tank. And uh, say that we'd like to give a big thank you to uh, Dominell's Wondrous Works. Um, oh, oh Demiel. Yeah, Demiel, Dom, yes, Dom. for using um, uh, our tree folk, um, our, our Winsy in her next campaign. That's amazing. I'd also love to give a shout out to our real life friend, Sky, for giving us some amazing um, like in-person uh, feedback for all of her support. Shannon Anamowski as well. And also my parents, who said <laughs> that they had an idea after listening to our podcast podcast that they wanted to make their own podcast yes. in which they simply do a commentary sort of like a um mystery science 3000 or whatever um on our episodes in which they they kind of critique the things that we come up with so yeah. uh you know i hope that happens someday and be amazing but thanks for all the support yeah yeah mr big uh, professional podcast book writer did your parents offer to do a riff track on your podcast how about that <laughs> No, because they wouldn't be able to find any flaws. Oh. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? <laughs> Good night, everybody. That's it. Wow, That's the yeah. End. On that note, uh, we <laughs> appreciate you coming on our podcast, James D'Amato. It's been uh, a wonderful time. Uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, see more of your work or buy your book or whatever the hell it is you uh, want so to talk about now? If, if you'd like to find me, uh, you can find my shows at oneshotpodcast.com. The best place if you'd like to get in contact with me is at oneshotrpg on Twitter. Uh, there you can find links to all of my work. Um, I'm definitely plugging my book quite a bit. <laughs> and if you are seriously interested in that book, you can go to bit.ly slash RPG gameplay 
or uh, just on the Amazon store, uh, search James D'Amato uh, and my books should pop up. Yeah, and we'll have links to all that in the show notes for this episode. So if anybody is interested in that, we'll make it very easy for you to go and find that. And if you want to find more of us, you can find us on Twitter at WorldForgePod. You can send us an email at WorldForgePod at gmail.com. If you have any uh, you know questions for us, if there's any topics you want us to cover, if you have any fan art, fan fiction, fan mail, anything like that, we love to hear it. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And we appreciate your listenership as always. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. So we will be back next week talking about, I don't know, something else. <laughs> but we appreciate you listening. And, uh, yeah, who knows what's in store? Yeah, something. <laughs> Talk about white bread and white paper and, yeah. and nothingness. Yeah, this is the only part of the podcast that's harder than coming up with names is how do we end it. So I'll just, yeah, just bye. <laughs> Say goodbye now. Bye. See ya. <laughs> bye. Bye.